0: I am Teresa Moyer. For those of you who are new and visiting today, I'm so happy to see so many faces that are new and um, are here for the second, third, fourth time. Uh, we have a lot of families out today. I'm the associate pastor here at Vineyard Church in Conshohocken, and our lead pastor and his family are on an actual vacation, a two-week, yes, I think we should clap for that. Yes, we are on a two-week vacation. Um, so we're very grateful that we have one another to, uh, to be present, especially when there's got to be maybe four or five of our families are gone uh, this week and, and next week. So we're looking forward to all coming back next, uh, next Sunday. It is at our house. My husband does live there as well, Steve. And uh, we do welcome you. We're very excited to have that. And what, what we didn't mention in the announcement is that I'm also inviting my whole neighborhood. So it's an opportunity to demonstrate God's love to people who don't know him. And they came two years ago, they loved you, and they want to come back again. So I'm very excited about that. So this pool of ours has seen a lot of action this summer. Some of you have been there when we were away. Uh, yesterday, we had Steve's family over and had a nice little gorgeous day for a pool party. We had two more during the week on Wednesday and Tuesday. And going back to last Saturday, we had a family reunion with my family. Um, my brother, as a, as a and I got to tell you, those of you who have been praying for my mom, thank you so much. She's doing so much better. We made a ramp on our hill to get her wheelchair up thinking she'd be able to do you know she walked out of that car and had a how uh, to walk and said I can do it and so I'm very grateful mom's doing so much better thank you for that um, as a gift to my youngest sister who's autistic and misses her family greatly my brother put together a photo album of our entire family history for her to take home from that and I wanted to show you it's not that embarrassing, but I wanted to show you a, a picture of our family. If you can find me in that picture, I'm the one in the middle with the veil. I was having my first, my first communion. I was raised Roman Catholic, and if you can't tell by the clothes, I think my brother Ken is the coolest one in there with his arm up on the on my other brother's ankle. Yeah, me. Anyway, so I was I was reflecting. <laughs> I was reflecting on. Our childhood. I was born in the early 60s. All right, you can take that down now. Thank you. And um, it's interesting, you know, the longer you live, the longer your perspective of life is, right? And you can look back over a long period of years and see the changes that have happened in your life, in your body, in your, in your family, but also in history and in the scope of what's going on in cultures. You know, when I was um, growing up, it was relatively easy to follow God. You know, on Sunday morning, you would actually see traffic going to church. People were either, I'm seeing nodding heads, I'm not the only one, good. People were either walking or driving to church, and if you weren't a Christian, there was another house of worship, and you went. People went to worship God. And um, honestly, on a Sunday, we had a very stable reality. We got dressed. We went to church. We came home. We changed. We went to our grandparents. We hung out all day. Family was the center of the afternoon. We had a beautiful time of usually with when we weren't arguing, you know, had a lot of fun together. And um, there was really very little else to do because of the blue laws. Anybody old enough to remember blue laws? Everything was closed. Sunday was set aside as a rest. Day. They thought they were doing us all a favor. When I was 16 or so and the blue laws were, you know, obliterated and I could go to the mall on Sunday, that's when the argument started in our house, right? Your, your place is at home with your family after church. That's how my father raised us. And as I look back on the late 60s into the 70s, and I see, I, we can see, All these revolutions that changed the shape of the world. Sex revolution, racial revolutions, drug revolution, Jesus revolution, hippie revolution, Generation Gap got its little coinage in the late 60s, early 70s. War. Things were tearing people apart and the entire culture was shifting. And yes, the Jesus Revolution did draw many people in California to Jesus. How many of you saw that movie? You know, The Vineyard has history in that movie. If you haven't seen it, it's worth watching. It's really well done. But there were so many people on the East Coast where I grew up. You know, right after the Jesus Revolution, Time Time Magazine had a photo that said, God is dead. That was the cover. So many people were leaving relationship with God because they didn't see a personal reality to it. And they went off in different directions to find their own way. Now, then we get into the 80s and the 90s. How many of you were born in that era? There you go. So that was a huge change because of technology. The boom of the technological reality of life in the 80s and the 90s. Then the cyber boom of the 2000s, right? Internet is flying. Then we get the social media and, the, and the, this thing. This thing that runs our lives. It's Adam's, but I'm, I'm grateful for the prop. <laughs> social media has boomed so much in the last two decades that some of you guys have never known life without it. And it is an integral web into your world. With each new wave, something seemed to shift in the focus of the society toward God. God has not changed. But people's perception of God, and whether or not he is real, and whether or not he is valid or has any influence over my personal life, this has become something that people are just separating from. And if you look at Sunday morning, do you see people flooding to churches? Are the parking lots full? there is a huge shift that's happened in the course of my lifetime. And since COVID, it's gotten even worse. You know, when I was young, it was like all the fish were swimming in the same direction. And then sometime around the 70s, everything started getting like fish were swimming in all sorts of directions. Now to walk with Jesus, it's like you've got to learn to swim upstream. We have to learn to swim counter to the culture At CVC, our goal is to develop mature disciples of Jesus, people strong enough in our spiritual practices to follow fully after Jesus, even if we have to swim against the currents of our current culture, while at the same time loving our culture and embracing them in God's name. People who want to grow, who want to transform into the image of Jesus, not just float in the current. Because if we just float without any spiritual strength, we'll get sucked in. We have to learn to swim upstream. So we have been teaching spiritual disciplines. We've been working on this for about, I don't know, two or or three months. A couple months ago, we started a a, a series called invitation to transformation. And we're going to be starting to do, last week we started a new series, which is about practicing individual spiritual disciplines. So I wondered if you actually even know what spiritual disciplines are. I want to read you a definition. Stephen Foster, who is an author who was really instrumental in bringing spiritual disciplines into the 20th, 21st century, uh, he wrote a, a book called Celebration of Discipline. And he explains spiritual disciplines this way. He said, God has ordained the disciplines of the spiritual life as the means by which we place ourselves where God can bless us. We're not doing something to earn grace from God or favor from God. Spiritual disciplines are given to us to learn to be in a position of receiving so that the Lord can fill us with himself. He goes on to say that he calls this the path of disciplined grace. It's grace because it's free. Salvation is free gift from God. But it's disciplined because they, God gives us something to do in order to get closer to him and to grow in him. If you want change in any area of our lives, it takes work, right? Right. What we eat, what we do with our bodies, what we do with our minds, it takes work. Um, practicing the disciplines that Jesus practiced during his life can help us come into new ways of being, new ways of thinking thinking. One author wrote, um, the the Latin root of the word discipline traces to words like instruction and knowledge. Sometimes when we think of the word discipline, we think of hard work. But the real root of it is knowledge and understanding, learning. Spiritual disciplines essentially are courses of learning. They say, the more our soul knowledge grows, the freer we become. Free from addiction to superficial pleasures. Free from advertising and other people's shoulds and shouldn'ts. Free from mindless distractions and appetites that sabotage our higher goals of becoming like Jesus. And free from the tyranny of the worst part of ourselves. That's what spiritual disciplines can birth in us. So our new... Sermon series is actually called Boot Camp 23 because our pastor Rich loves CrossFit, Boot Camp, anything that's, but you see the reality of this training for what? Rest. So last week, Rich did a great sermon called weight training, spelled W-A-I-T, learning how to wait in God's presence. And if you remember, he said in W-E-I-H-G-T, did I spell that right? That weight training, the building of the muscle, happens during times of rest. That was the, the, the main point of this sermon. We're going to go a little bit deeper into that rest today, and we are going to look at Sabbath rest. And I'm calling this Sabbath rest, Rhythms of Grace. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would uh, enter our brains now. And you would open up our minds and our understanding of the good gift you have given us in rest. And in seasons of rest. And in planned rest. And will you help us to get on your page with how you want to bring restoration and freedom in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So many people dispute whether or not Christians should practice the Sabbath. I remember my father-in-law, I said, oh, I was out gardening today, and he says, you were gardening on the Sabbath? And I thought, hmm, that's an interesting perspective. I actually take great joy from gardening most times. So, but he was raised that you did nothing on the Sabbath except be with your family. And some people claim that since Jesus is our Sabbath rest, there's really no need for us to have to practice Sabbath. Some people believe that practicing a day of rest and worship dedicated to God is actually legalistic because we are not held to all the laws of the Old Testament, so why would we have to do that? I would argue that maybe we aren't required to observe the Sabbath for our salvation. I know that we're not required to observe the Sabbath for our salvation, but that it sure might be good for us. Anyway, many people, particularly the younger generation, people in their late 20s, early 30s, mid 20s, are finding that by setting aside one day a week to worship, to hang out with friends, to be with family, to rest, to nap, to love, to enjoy God's creation. They're finding restoration and refreshment they need to carry on for the next six days. And that's what we're going to look at today. And it's something that I really had to learn because despite my family's rhythms growing up on Sunday, I looked to resist that as I grew up. I was busy. I was a teacher. I was a professor. I was a singer. I had work to do. And often on Saturdays and Sundays, because that's when performances are. I spent my Sunday mornings with God, and I felt like that was enough for me. After all, most of my friends weren't even going to church, so I was ahead of the game. When I started teaching at the university, I had a student who was a devout Messianic Jew. And he was a great singer and a really good actor, so he was in my musicals. And he religiously practiced Sabbath. And he refused to come to my Friday night or Saturday rehearsals. And at a college, Saturday is the big day of rehearsal. I was like, what do you mean you're not coming to my rehearsals? And he said, it's my Sabbath day. And I'm like, get over it. You follow Jesus. You don't have to do that. And he's like, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Part of me was angry at him. Part of me felt sorry for him. That he felt like he had to observe some law that Jesus had set us free from. But if I'm really honest, part of me was a little jealous because he had made a choice. to And you know what was funny about him? He was a Christian who followed after Jesus, his Messiah, his Yeshua Messiah. But he was going to worship at an Orthodox synagogue undercover. They didn't know he followed Jesus. Because he, so he was embracing all of the reality of being Jewish. When I watched him, and he'd come back so rested and tell me about the great wine and the wonderful foods and the great time they had together, I started to wonder if maybe Sabbath wasn't something that would be worth pursuing. But my life was relentless, and it was restless and very, very busy to the point where I found no rest. And this became one of my favorite scriptures. You all know it. Matthew 11, 28, 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I was walking with Jesus, but I didn't find rest for my soul. I was too busy. The message puts it this way. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. My schedule left very little room for unforced rhythms of grace. I wonder if any of you all feel that way. I knew I was saved by God's grace. I knew that Jesus died to pay for my sins so I could live eternally with a perfect God. I knew the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But the rhythms of my life were more shaped by my aspirations and my desires than by God's pace and grace. And if you are here for the first time, you're hearing about this salvation grace where God has paid for all the things we've done wrong so that we can come close to know him, And you'd like to know more about that, or you'd like to invite Jesus into your life for the first time today, please see me after. I'd be happy to pray with you. But did you know that when Jesus was talking about rhythms of grace in the scripture, it comes right before he starts teaching about Sabbath? In chapter 12... He is confronting the religious leaders, the Pharisees at the time. They were the religious leaders, and they had so distorted God's command to rest by adding so many man made rules and expectations, it was almost impossible to find rest on the Sabbath. They harassed Jesus' friends for picking and eating grain as they walked along when they got hungry on the Sabbath. They harassed Jesus for healing someone with a shriveled arm in the synagogue on the Sabbath because he wasn't he was working. Jesus reconfigured the entire idea of what sabbath rest. He said he was lord of the sabbath. And he said that the sabbath was made for men, not men made for the sabbath. We were not to be slaves to the sabbath. It was a gift from God to us. Sabbath rest was supposed to be good for the people. God established a six-day work week and one day committed to worship, to love, to friendship and all the things that renewed and refreshed and gave life. It was an opportunity to remember that God really is our good shepherd and he really does provide for us everything we need. But the leaders had turned God's good command into a misery. Let's take a look at what does Sabbath really mean. Literally, the word is Shabbat. And Shabbat literally means stop cease. That was it. It can also translate as delight. I know, right? Isn't that nice? God's command to Israel was to stop, to cease their work, to rest and to delight in him and all that he has made. To stop working, to stop wanting, to stop worrying, to just stop. Doesn't that sound good? For a whole day. Stop depending on themselves And for one day, acknowledge that God is enough. Dan Allender, in his book, Sabbath, writes, The Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our week. Sabbath is the holy time set aside for a purpose where we feast, play, dance, sing, have sex if you're married, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. He says few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and to sanctify it, to make it holy, listen to this, because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. Yeah, that impacted me. Before God ever commanded his people to Sabbath rest, he first demonstrated it. If we go back to the Genesis account of creation, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. He showed us how. You think he was tired? You think God needed a break? He demonstrated what resting and delighting looks like so that we could become like him and he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And in this, he created for us a six-day week. We work for six days, and we rest. Do you know the last time a society tried to abandon a six-day work week was the French Revolution? Do you know in the French Revolution, they wanted more productivity, so they made a 10-day work week to get more out of the workers. Do you know what happened? The economy crashed. Productivity was down, and the suicide rate skyrocketed. They have found through research that there is no difference in productivity between someone who works 70 hours a week and somebody who works 55 hours a week. As a matter of fact, they have found that 50 hours a week is the optimum. After we work that many hours, if we fight that rhythm, we fight against God's design. Because Sabbath rest is good, and it may even be necessary When we overwork or we don't stop to rest every seventh day, our bodies and our minds suffer. How many know this? Uh Uh-huh, we know this. Lethargy, restlessness, numbing out. One writer said, emotional unhealth becomes our new normal. Irritability, anger, cynicism, and its twin, sarcasm, overwhelm our defenses and take control of our dispositions in there. Our bodies shut down, our immune systems falter, another cold, we get the flu, COVID, exhaustion. John Mark Comer says, we all come to Sabbath voluntarily or involuntarily. I used to love when I got really sick because I finally had a chance to lay down and I had a justified reason for it. And my spiritual director said, I don't think that's really healthy. (laughs) It's like, yeah, maybe. This may be why God had to command his people to rest. What a funny command. They just didn't know the rhythms of grace. You know, when he established the nation of Israel and he set them free from the slavery in Egypt, God instructed his people to practice the seventh day rest as he modeled because he wants us to be like him. And we all know the Ten Commandments, right? Number four is usually like this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But do you know, in Scripture, it's like four times longer than this. It's the only command of the Ten Commandments that explains why we have to do it. Let's look at Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. When they got to Mount Sinai, and he's giving Moses this law, He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy, set it apart for a purpose, to give us rest. The first time we see this command, he reminds them to practice. He says, remember the Sabbath, and the reason he gives is because he did it. Be like me. Forty years later, those folks could not break free of their slave mentality. They refused to do things God's ways, and God had to wait for the next generation. That trip across the desert should not have taken 40 years. But those people had to live their lives until the next generation was ready to take on what God's promises were. But when we see Moses give this command again, because he reissues the Ten Commandments to the next generation before they go into the Promised Land, he doesn't say remember the Sabbath. He says observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. And the the next two verses are the same, but let's go to the next slide. Verse 15 is a very different reason. This is no longer because I said so or because I did it. He says, remember you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Why? Because you used to be slaves, and you're not slaves. You're my children. Come out of your slavery and live free once a week You will remember, I am your provider. I am your shepherd. I am your guide. I will give you rest. But if we never settle long enough to let that happen, we stay in a mindset of the culture which is addictive and causes us to become slaves in one way or another. How many times have you said, if I could just put this thing down, I find it interesting that God had to command people to rest. John Mark Comer says it's like commanding ice cream or live music or beach days. You would think we'd all be chomping at the bit to practice the Sabbath, but apparently there's something about the human condition that makes us want to hurry our way through life as fast as we possibly can to rebel against the limitation of time itself. Due to our immaturity, dysfunction, and addiction, God has to command his people to do something deeply life-giving, to rest. Hmm. Maybe this reminder of the slavery of Egypt can give us some insight. I mean, what's the Egypt in our lives? What are we slaves to? One writer would say, accomplishment and acquisition are the gods of the United States. I get caught up in that if I'm not careful? I don't think he's wrong. I mean, are we slaves to what we have, what we need, what we want, what we are, what we can achieve? Are we slaves to what people think about us? (sighs) Once a week, rest and know that I'm God. Could a Sabbath rest break the slavery mindset in our own hearts like it did for those, the Israelites? One day a week to remember the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet water. He refreshes my soul. You know, the current of our culture rarely lets us just accept and appreciate what we have. There's always more. It's the God of more. I need. You know, we're very restless. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Isn't that why we come here every week? Sabbath day can help us see what's been driving us for six days and provide us some rest. It's a reminder that God has brought us out of a mentality of slavery. I started practicing Sabbath about four years ago when I became licensed as a pastor here. But I've been studying how different people do Sabbath, and I'm intrigued because I think I've been looking at my Sabbath day more like a day off, you know? I spend the morning with God, maybe a little more time, maybe not, run to see my mom, go get the shopping things because I love to shop, so that's joyful. And I'm like, you know what, Lord, I don't think I'm really Sabbathing because at the end of that day, I don't think I feel rested or ready to face the next week. See, many pastors take Monday as a Sabbath because they work on Sunday. But that means I'm doing it by myself, and it feels more like a day off. I want to do it with my husband, but he's at work on Monday. So Steve and I had to talk about this, and we are going to try to step more into a rhythm of a Sunday rest. And Adam said to me this morning, you're going to do a Sabbath on Sunday, but you're preaching. I'm like, this is a joy. I've already written the sermon. Like standing up in front of you and talking is fun for me. So we're going to try to step more into this, and we're going to do it together. I can still take Monday off from work, you know, but I'm going to take Sunday as my Sabbath to worship, to fellowship, and rest. I love coming here and being with you all. To spend time with family and friends, or today to just nap, because we've been going like crazy, and get closer to each other. Maybe spend some time in God's creation, hiking, exploring, gardening. Whatever gives you joy. But do it with a heart of gratitude and a heart of worship, connectivity to God for that day. And then let's see what God does with these efforts. It doesn't earn us anything, remember? It's a gift. Sabbath could give us an opportunity to just receive because sometimes we just don't know what's good for us. And for the work addicted, the status-driven, the media-focused among us, Let us all raise our hands from time to time. Sabbath can be hard to put into action. Swimming upstream can be hard at first until you get a little spiritual muscle. But when you see the gift that comes as a result of that surrender, I believe we're going to be able to get more of a culture of it in our our community. Now, we're not monks. We're not monastics. We're going to have to find our own Sabbath ways with God, okay? We're already halfway there. I mean, we all came together to worship, to fellowship, to be together, to take joy from each other. We're already halfway there. What if this kind of rest lasted the rest of our day? Here's a thought. What if it started last night? You know, when Jews were um, set this command, when God gave this command to the Israelites, Sabbath began at sundown on Saturday. I went through sundown on Sunday. And I read this, and I thought this was an amazing thought. What if our days began with sleep and our week began with rest? How differently would we face the next day or the next six days? And if you think like I used to that Sabbath is legalism, here's an interesting thought. Jesus practiced it. All his disciples practiced it. Paul practiced it. It's in the Ten Commandments, and would we consider violating any of the other ones? Is murder okay or bearing false witness, right? Like, we obey the rest of them. So maybe there's some good to come out of obeying the command to rest. I want to give you one more reason if you're not yet convinced to try this. The Bible Project writers explain Sabbath this way. Sabbath is a taste of the age to come. It is not a commandment we are bound to. It's a promise we're invited to enjoy. Sabbath rest is an invitation to practice for eternity in God's presence. It's an act of regular and intentional trust of God's rule on earth. When we stop working, we can truly rest in God's presence. When we practice this purposeful pause, we make room for God to take up residence in our individual lives and communities. And when we do this, we take part in the new creation story, setting the stage for God to make his dwelling place once again on earth. And the last convincing evidence I want to give you to try this is that there was a study who were the happiest people on earth. And do you know who came out on top? The Seventh-day Adventists. They regularly practice Sabbath. And do you know what they found out? They live 10 years longer than the average person. So practicing Sabbath might add years to our life, but years where we've learned to rest, not years of misery. Now, if you need some help, like, you know, if you're like me, you might say, well, what am I allowed to do? What should I, shouldn't I do? You know, one of my kids in our, in our young adult group was like, am I allowed to clean my room on the Sabbath? I'm like, I am not going to dictate a law. You have to decide what is restful for you. If it's giving you peace to clean your room to, I don't know, you have to ask God, because we're not going to follow these laws. So here's the, here's an idea. Um, there, I, I mentioned this podcast a couple of weeks ago. I do listen to other things, but this was so good episode five gives, a great, um, gives some great ideas for practicing Sabbath. And uh, I want to say, one of the things that they kept saying, and I've read in other places, is that what brings us joy? Take that on your Sabbath day and do it with the Lord and with those you love. What brings you joy? If you're like me, in my past life, I was so busy, I lost sight of what brought me joy. I thought shopping on Amazon was bringing me joy, or running to TJ Maxx. But the reality is that just fed my addictions. So I'm learning a new way to rest, and I'm gonna practice it, and I'm hoping some of you will join me. Some suggestions, people we love, a good book, good food, good wine if you like it. Reading, social interactions. Do you know that reading and social interactions can keep your brain from deteriorating? Fantastic things to practice on those Sabbath in God's presence. Nature, art, napping, exercise, whatever brings you joy. And I speak to some of you who are younger than me, which is most of you in this room. Get a practice of it now. I said to Rich two weeks ago, I want a do-over. You all are practicing these spiritual disciplines. I want to start over in my 30s and see how life could be different if I actually embraced these things when I was younger. You guys could form your whole family life off of this kind of rest. Real strength, as Rich said last week, is built in times of resting. So let's finish up with this. As we move through the next few decades of our lives, practicing Sabbath rest can help us gain spiritual muscle to continue to swim against the currents of the restless culture and grow in our connection to God. And then we'll have reserves to face the next six days and something to look forward to at the end of every week. We don't have to, as the years fly by, just have to be content content to survive treading water. God has given us so much. Let's take time to enjoy it, to appreciate what we have, and to rest in the Psalm 23 promise that with God we lack nothing. Amen?